For Digitas, this is HPE Radio at ID 1HPE 0349000, spot title HPE Episode 2, English Radio, 30 seconds long, mixed at Harbor on October 25th, 2023. So, how do we get AI right? Well, we need the right volume of data, the software to train it, and massive compute power, or... Another one bites the dust. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need, helping generate better insights. All right! Nice teamwork, guys. Search HPE GreenLake. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Tim Shum about macroeconomic and labor trends in 2023. Tim Shum, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks, John. Looking forward to chatting with you. It's a pleasure to be with you today. You're joining us from Chicago. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about macroeconomic and labor trends coming in 2023. We know the last few years have been something of an anomaly in many ways with the pandemic and um, with inflation and everything connected with that. Of course, all of this is then bleeding into 2023. So we're going to unpack what that all means for this year and what employers can expect as they're thinking about labor markets, and such. As we get started, I wanted to share Tim's bio with everybody. Tim Shum spent 10 years at Aerotech, the largest privately held staffing firm in various roles, recruiter, salesperson, national sales, and regional leadership. He was the top salesperson out of 2000 reps for three years from 2010 to 2012. James provides a service that is 40 to 60% cost savings compared to traditional fee-based recruiting firms. And Tim is very vocal about some of the challenges and headaches that HR and talent leaders have when working with recruiters. The model is broken, expensive, poor service, et cetera. And Tim is a thought leader when it comes to discussions around the economy and how that affects the labor market. So I think all of this is fantastic. I'm excited to explore this with you. Before we dive on in, anything else you would like to share with me or my audience by way of your background or personal context, and then we'll just dive on in. I think you nailed it. I've been in the recruitment human capital space for 16 years. And, you know, I I don't 
watch SportsCenter. I don't follow sports at all. Like I'm on CNBC. I'm reading Wall Street Journal. Uh, I started a business, as you mentioned, in the human capital space four and a half years ago. So I tend to geek out about this stuff and I'm very interested in this uh, particular topic. Enjoy your podcast and just looking forward to the conversation. Perfect. Well, as we get started then, why don't you lay out for us in broad brushstrokes some of the meta trends uh, that you see coming, you know, in terms of macroeconomic conditions and the labor market. And then we can start to dig into each of those. That sounds good. So I, I think I'll start off with, and, and you work with a lot of corporate leaders, I'm sure HR leaders just around human capital. And, you know, a portion of that is how do you attract and then how do you retain and just make sure that employer employees are having a great experience. M- most business leaders don't look at the labor market like any other market. And every other market's based on supply and demand. If you have really high demand and low supply, the price point's going to increase. If you have really high supply, low demand, the price point's going to decrease. And really what connects the labor market uh, from a price point perspective is things like salaries and benefits and ancillary benefits like remote and things like that, right? So when you go back to, you know, coming out of the 2008-2009 recession, unemployment was really high. It was a big uh, scarcity kind of mindset for a lot of organizations. But really, we went through from 2010 to early part of 2020, a 10-year bull run, right? Unemployment was low. There was a lot of confidence in growth. There was a lot of investment in growth. And I think corporate leaders got in the mindset of, hey, what, how are we going to grow next quarter? We're going to model out next year. What is that going to look like? What percentage growth are we going to have? Let's reverse engineer that back. And how many people do we need? And I think most business leaders, HR folks, recruiters in general, just got in the mindset. You just got to post the job. Candidates are going to apply. You, you interview a few. Uh, you go with the right one. Hopefully they accept your offer and kind of lather, rinse, repeat that kind of model. And over the past two, three years uh, at the dawn of the pandemic, the labor market dynamics, the gyrations, the variables have just become so out of whack. And it's just so fascinating that I'm sure a lot of uh, your listeners are kind of listening to. So coming into 2020, low unemployment again, uh, market was hot, lots of confidence. And then essentially overnight, unemployment skyrocketed in some industries, 20, 30, 40%, hospitality and things of that nature. But you know the mindset had kind of shifted from um, how do we decrease headcount and then, as we all know, V-shaped recovery, the last few years has kind of been nuts in a lot of different areas. On a, the, the inflation number was really high. Um, the Fed funds rate was really low. A lot of investment was going into a lot of companies. They created a lot of bubbles in certain industries. And what this did to the labor market is in a lot of different industries and specifically some specific skill sets, the, the demand completely outweighed the supply. So you've probably talked about or heard about things like quiet quitting, or the great resignation. And for, for most markets, the market dictates behaviors. So if you're an employee on the marketplace and you're getting calls for 20%, 40% more of your salary constantly, and you know, before you're like, hey, I gotta stick out some adversity every once in a while, my employer, and you know, this is kind of part of work, and I, I have a commute that I have to kind of deal with. A lot of this kind of stuff went out the window and it created a very much candidate-driven market, employee-driven market that a lot of business leaders kind of had to deal with. And uh, 2020 was really hot. And now Q3, Q4, you're starting to see a little bit more layoff activity and you're starting to see that pendulum kind of swing. So I, I think I'll start start there, but there's also a lot of macroeconomic trends that we can kind of get into. Baby boomers, wealth transfer of baby boomers. Yeah. Uh, immigration. Let's, let's kind of dive into a few of these, the gig economy. So there, there's all these different factors that if you're a business leader that's sticking to the previous playbook, 
over the next five years, regardless of the type of economy that you have, there's going to be a lack of supply of workers and you need to address that for your organization, no doubt. Yeah. And I've been talking about this, man, for like at least 15 years. I've been talking about the aging workforce. I've been talking about the shift towards the gig economy, um, the the automation of a lot of the tasks and roles that people uh, perform. Uh, a lot of these sorts of trends, these are not new trends. Um, people have been talking about them for a really long time. But what we saw over the last several years is that they've just been exacerbated, like they've just been sped along. And, uh, you know, while I, w- I remember taking a grad course, an HR grad course, like back in 2000 something or the early 2000s, and my professor telling me at the time, um, you know, the the baby boomers are retiring and, and there's going to be this huge labor shortage. That was like, I don't know, 18 plus years ago or whatever it was. And uh, it that was staved off a little bit because of the 2008 great recession and people had to lost a lot of their retirement. They had to work longer, but eventually the workforce continues to age and those people do age out. And during the pandemic, of course, we saw more and more people um, just choose to be done. Um, So, so you had those aging out who chose not to continue. Of course, you had the quiet quitting. You had the, uh, the great resignation. You had people just reevaluating their lives, making decisions about how they wanted to live their lives and and what they wanted their employment related arrangements and relationships to look like. So all of that has shifted. The aging workforce matter has only continued the the uh, acceleration into the future of work you know in terms of automation and ai and machine learning and all that is only accelerated um and so because of all of that it just makes it even more important more important than ever really that leaders in organizations take a really close look uh understand these macro trends how they impact the micro decisions within organizations uh and then have a, a holistic uh, human capital strategy that will help you to attract and retain great people because you're an employer of choice because of your employer branding because of the 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 positive healthy employee experience that people have so they want to work for you monetizing digital services since 2004 boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone AWG, where innovation meets monetization. It's it's one of those things, right? Like you could read an article on culture and get some nuggets out of it. Um, forget to apply it or just go back to the way that you're doing things. But un- until the culture affects you and your business goals, then you make the change. And it's the same thing with the aging workforce. We've been talking about it for years. Yes, that makes sense. Everybody's nodding. But like now's the time, and especially over the next five to six years, if you don't have a plan around this, this is going to uh, really got to dictate the future of your business. So let's look at some data on this. Um, Obviously, the baby boomers, uh, they're they're aging now. This is folks that were born between 1946 and 1964. They're in their late 50s, 60s, early 70s. Uh, they're, They're starting to retire, but there's still a huge chunk of this generation that's active in the workforce. These are our uh, senior level, most experienced people that, that know all the tricks of the trade and everything that's uh, in and around any organization. These are our, our, our supervisors, our managers, our directors, our C-level executives, right? We have 10,000 baby boomers that are retiring per day or hitting retirement age, I should say, per day. Uh, in 2020, 29 million baby boomers had retired. 
Uh, over the next six years, it's anticipated that 75 million baby boomers are retiring. And there's only 175 million active workers in the workforce of the U.S. So you have 75 million baby boomers that are projected to retire over that time. And, uh, you know, anecdotally, when you think about this, they were making a lot of babies back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, right? Like my, my dad was one of seven. My mom was one of four. That, that was very, very, very common. I have two children, right? Um, it, it's we, we don't have enough supply in the later generations to offset this, right? And it's because it's going to hit every single industry. It's going to hit every single company. And you have to reshape uh, how you're looking about things. Uh, the second most interesting thing that I've dug into a little bit, <clears throat> there's about 70, million, uh, 70 trillion to $100 trillion of wealth that's tied to the baby boomer generation. That, as we all know, you know, once folks pass on or they retire, uh, that wealth that gets transferred to initially their spouse, but eventually their next of kin, their children. So folks that are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. And, you know, you mentioned during the pandemic, there's folks that chose to exit the workforce, right? A lot of them were baby boomers. But for the first time in the last 30 years, we saw folks in later industries that aren't hitting retirement age really spike in retirement. And I believe that this is a, a major factor for this. So a- anecdotally, and I'm not going to benefit from this and, you know, to each their own. But, you know, if, if you're planning on retirement at 60, but your spouse's mom and dad gives you $200,000 and your mom and dad gives you a million bucks, that changes the retirement calculator. That changes the mindset of like, hey, I need to be a worker. Like I need to put everything that I have into work. That changes how much adversity that you deal with in the workplace. That deals with how many obstacles or like BS that you'll deal with at work. And you're, you're right. You're starting to see folks leave in droves just uh, as a result of the baby boomer generation. So it's not just the baby boomers. It's kind of everybody else that you have to take a look at. And that's kind of changing the supply landscape of the labor market, no doubt. Yeah, and that's a really important point. The the transfer of wealth intergenerationally has a very big impact on this as well. So you're absolutely right. Uh, and the bottom line is, even if even if we didn't have this the these macroeconomic trends and and the boomers retiring in mass and et cetera et cetera, even if that wasn't the case, we still have a huge skills gap in the workforce. Um, so even if all those people stayed and, and you mentioned earlier, and this is a really important point to key in on that. These are senior level people. These are people with, with decades of experience, institutional knowledge, expertise. So it's not just like any random person leaving your company. This is like someone who holds a lot of knowledge and expertise in their hands. And when they leave, they're going to be really hard to replace. Okay. So that exacerbates the problem, but then you just look at how the workforce is changing and how the needs of the workforce are changing. And the skills gap has only been widening over the last decade or so. And so even if we didn't have a supply demand issue, you know, a supply shortage in terms of, of labor, uh, in terms of raw numbers, we have a supply issue in terms of skilled talent, people with the the skill sets needed in high-tech spaces, in STEM fields, in healthcare, and, and you can name a whole bunch of them that we just consistently have shortages in. Um, and so the reality is, how whatever way you, you spin it, uh, how, whatever area you want to focus on in terms of these trends, the bottom line is labor shortage equals hard times for organizational leaders who want to have great people on their teams to provide great value to the market, to their customers. Uh, And so organizations are going to have to figure this out. And if they can't figure it out, 
uh, they're going to struggle to stay relevant in the future of work. Saw a decrease in uh, GDP, I think, in Q2 and Q3 of last year, and then it spiked, thankfully, in Q4. Um, But then we saw layoff, layoff activity that was associated with that. There's a lot of fear on the marketplace, kind of going back to what does 2023 look like? Uh, a lot of the, the decisions to like invest for the future and rapid growth, let's 3x revenue at a tech company. A lot, a lot of that mindset isn't there right now, but we had the best jobs number that uh, came out on Friday. We have uh, record low unemployment historically at the moment. But there's so much negativity right now. The Dow's low, the Nasdaq's low, and then pe- people really aren't digging into, hey, why why is that? And it's all the stuff that we're kind of talking about. They don't have the workers in order just even to sustain. So even even in a down economy, you're still going to have labor market tightness. And I think that's a misnomer for a lot of the pundits that are talking about, hey, the Federal Reserve is going to increase rates, and that's going to lead to massive unemployment. It may. But we'll get into gig economy and immigration in a second. There's other factors on, hey, they just can't sustain what they're doing right now, regardless of the profits at the end of the day. Yeah. And sustainability is the key here. We just can't sustain That's it. Right. And and we saw it during the pandemic. Um, uh, I'll just use one example. So in hospitality, um, you know, huge dip during the pandemic because everyone is staying home. Travel is shut down and stuff. But as things start to reopen, uh, one of the industries hit really, really hard, uh, not only because of the initial shutdown, but because of the challenges of reopening was hospitality. And so anyone who's traveled, uh, it's get, it's getting better and better, but anyone who traveled, especially in those early days after lockdowns were lifted and people started to travel again, um, hotels were way understaffed. <laughs> they could not have enough people um, to do the work. And so you had people pulling double, triple shifts. Uh, overworked. I, I remember going to one of the first big conferences I went to um, once things kind of started to open up again. Uh, we'd worked with this. I was on the, the planning committee for this conference and we'd worked with this hotel before. Uh, they, they'd been really great to work with. And this time it wasn't so hot. And, you know, what was the difference? Uh, well, as we sat back and observed, we were like, yeah, we're, we, we were seeing the same people um, who are being run ragged. We don't, they don't have enough workers. Uh, and so they're trying to provide us the same quality of experience for a conference uh, that we had previously with half the number of workers. And of course, no wonder it's not working out. Um, that's just one example of a gazillion examples we could give about how the labor shortage uh, is really impacting uh, various organizations. And so those, those um, hospitality and hotel um, uh, and resorts that were able to, to figure this out and, and get people back and, and have people engaged and, and, and figure out their staffing stuff, they, they were the ones that have been able to thrive. And those who, who weren't, they're really, really struggling. And once you have those negative customer experiences, people don't forget easily. And then they're, they're bound to go try something else. They're going to go elsewhere. Absolutely. Um, restaurants, distribution centers, retail. I think the, the, the a lot of the dynamic of, hey, we can't find the workers is is there. I think a lot of us that are probably listening to this podcast, like I'm a business leader, I'm an HR, I need that engineer, I need that IT person, I need I need that salesperson. But you know, the, the reality is that the pandemic and some of the uh, factors that we'll talk about uh, decreased the supply dramatically. So let's talk about immigration 
for a second. If you were to look at a chart of net migration to the U.S. over the past 30 years, it's just one of those like up in the into the right charts, right? We were just adding people. The U.S. Is the best place to be. You can get a job. You can change. You know, get the American lifestyle. You can kind of change the dynamics of your family. And we had policies in place that allowed to do that. And you cannot have a growing economy, especially a growing economy over time, if you don't have the workers to do that. And to our earlier point, we just weren't producing enough U.S. citizens before in order to do that. So we had net migration, which is fantastic. And not getting political, like there's uh, all sides of the coin here. But in 2016, we saw a shift there. Right. So you saw the net migration start to decrease for the first time in 30 years to the point now, the next two years, the net migration is going to be zero. And we're probably going to have negative migration. So emigration. So more folks leaving the country that are kind of coming in. So when you look at, yes, it's the H-1B visa software engineers. It's the uh, H-1B visa IT professionals. Uh, at the same time, it's, you know, th- th- there's a lot of folks that are entering the country and they're looking for an entry level job at a restaurant, at a distribution center, at a warehouse, uh, at a retail store. So uh, that's that, that's a, a, a large chunk of the supply side of the labor market dynamics that, I mean, trends are trends. If trends continue five, six years from now, like this could look a lot different. You might you might have to think about other ways of, of doing business or we might have to think of different policies in order to uh, address this. Yeah, so immigration being a huge one. You also mentioned gig economy. Uh, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, so what happens to labor supply when you have more and more people opting into the gig economy? A lot of the BLS statistics, um, unemployment, number of job openings, um, open headcounts. Like if you're a business leader, you're, you're thinking in terms of W-2 salaried or W-2 hourly workers. And 20 years ago, like that's how you got money, right? Like that's the only way pretty much you got money unless you were a sole proprietor or you were a tenant, you know, a contractor. That's how you got money. Um, with the dawn of the gig economy and platforms like uh, being an Uber driver or going on uh, Upwork and becoming a freelancer or DoorDash, uh, Etsy, there's a lot of different ways that people can make either side hustle income, so part-time income, or tackle all these projects together and basically replace their W-2 income. And that's how they're making money and that's how they're getting money into the economy, right? And this is another one of those trends and it's not a, a 2% per year kind of trend. There's a huge trend in this, and people are now realizing that there's other ways to get work. So we'll talk about the pandemic in a second. Uh, a lot of the folks that left warehouse jobs that were like hot, and they had to work a ton of overtime, and they had to work hours that were fixed for them. A lot of the folks that were in restaurants that didn't like to do that, um, they said, hey, I got I to gotta be home. I'm going to start looking for other ways to, to get income. There's a lot of DoorDash drivers out there. There's a lot of Uber drivers that were former retired restaurateurs or uh, restaurant folks, right? Restaurant hostesses, servers. There's a lot of folks that are doing that that were in the warehouses before. So, um, and then you talk about like white collar jobs, right? There's a lot of W-2 workers that are now freelancers in whatever occupation that they are that have another way of kind of getting income. And it's great for a lot of folks. And maybe you could work from home. Maybe you could set your own hours. Maybe you could make more money. 
in some cases. So this is this new thing that people are now getting a taste of that are getting referred into some of these opportunities. And when you go back to, all right, I'm a business leader, I'm looking at the unemployment data, I'm looking at my open headcount, what's going on, let's apply the previous playbook to this. It's a major factor and this trend is going to continue over the next decade. And it's going to just exacerbate the problem of the supply side of, of labor, for sure. Yeah, because I mean, simply put, you remove people from the corporate supply of labor because they move into the gig economy, that just exacerbates the labor shortage, doesn't it? Especially if, if people know their skills, they know how they're valued in the market, they know they don't have to go through a middleman, so to speak, through their corporate gig, uh, and they can they can hang their own shingle and be their own boss with all of the, you know, there's challenges, of course, associated with that, but there's also the flexibility and the autonomy and all that. You know, more and more, especially during the pandemic, people decided, eh, this this actually seems really nice, and they've opted into that lifestyle. The, the other thing I'll note is just a lifestyle preference change that we've seen generationally. So, uh, and maybe feel free to speak to this too, um, but we know that more so than the silent generation or the the boomers or Gen X, that millennials, especially younger millennials and Gen Z, they're just making different general lifestyle choices um, in life choices in general. Uh, and so for example, you, you have the caricature of the, of the millennial or Gen Z, you know, wanting to live in a sprinter van and travel around and work remotely. Uh, it's a bit of a caricature. There's some people who do that. It's not the norm and not most people don't choose that, but it's, it's a illustration of a general lifestyle shift that in many cases, they're the younger generations aren't buying into the old version of the American dream, what their parents did. They're not buying into the suburban lifestyle, buying a big home with a big mortgage that they can't afford uh, and all of those things. And so if you don't have those same expenses, you don't have the same need for income. And and some people are saying, hey, I can I can survive just fine, make a good living doing gig work. Yeah, I'm not making as much as I would in a corporate job, but I have my work-life balance. I have my autonomy. I have my flexibility. I can do creative stuff and do what I want to do. And people are opting into that. Yeah. I mean, the behavior change, like the market would dictate behaviors, but also how we come up dictates behaviors a lot too. You know, when I graduated college in 2006 from Purdue University, I entered the workforce and I was in the recruiting business. So I saw a little bit more of this than most occupations. But, you know, at the time you kind of had to stick with the job that you had, if you wanted to be a, a good candidate on a resume, you stuck through the tough times. You didn't want any gaps in your resume. Uh, what was good to see was at least five years at the organization that you were working for. And from a recruiting perspective, like that's what my customers were looking for back then. Like, hey, if they don't have a good work history and they're going two years here, one year here, two years here, one year here, I don't even want to look at candidates like that. And it made it very, very difficult. But that was the uh, that was the market at the time. Those were the behaviors at the time. And to, and to your point now, whether it's uh, re remote working or the generation that's kind of coming up, you know, I, I don't want to say it's the first sign of adversity that they leave, but it, the, the first sign that their uh, tastes and wants for what they're looking for in an organization or the manager that they're looking for, they're, they're willing to leave. And the market and they have as, choices. as such as yeah. – they, the market's as such that they have choices and the market is as such that uh, the business leaders have to change their playbook and kind of look past the things of the 2006 kind of era and be okay because like, you're not going to get the work done. And it's um, it, it's an ever-changing kind of evolving uh, dynamic for sure. 
Yeah. Well, Tim, this has just been a fascinating conversation. We've only scratched the surface. There's so much more we could talk about, but we're going to have to leave it there for today. I need to let you go. But before we wrap up, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Absolutely. Uh, as John mentioned, uh, my name is Tim Shum. I'm the founder and president of Lucas James Talent Partners. It's a business that I started in 2018. Uh, we're an on-demand recruiting process outsourcing organization. So we are an alternative to traditional recruiters that charge 20, 25, 30% of first year salary. Uh, if you want to reach out, I can get into how we do this, but we essentially cut that cost in half and we uh, act as an extension of your talent acquisition function. Uh, we're about 150 uh, some odd people based out of Chicago. And uh, you can find us at www.lucasjamestalent.com. And I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out, follow me, connect with me. It's uh, Tim Shum on LinkedIn, S-C-H-U-M-M. I'm sure it's in the show notes, but John, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Thank you, Tim. It's been a pleasure. I encourage my audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Tim and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Monetizing digital services since 2004. Boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone. AWG. Where innovation meets monetization.